Hi, the state attorney general is taking over two more high-profile investigations. Two weeks into taking the helm, Gettner Drummond announced his office will decide whether to file charges in the investigations into Swadley's and the commissioners of land office. Following his inauguration last month, new Oklahoma Attorney General Gintner Drummond has wasted no time in making his mark on the state. On this episode of Listen Frontier, we sit down with Drummond to talk about some of the cases his department is handling. Uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Listen Frontier podcast. I am here today with Attorney General Gintner Drummond. Uh, Attorney General, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you, Dylan. So, um, like I said, we're just going to jump right into it, sort of probably the same way that it's gone for you as Attorney General, just having to sort of jump right into, you didn't really get much of a welcoming period. It's been about, what, a month since? It has. Uh, today will be the end of the fourth week. Yeah, so about a month, and um, yeah, like I said, you didn't really get in, eased into it. You just sort of had to hit the ground running. Um, were there any challenges for you in that process of, of not getting really like a, a welcoming period? I mean, you sort of, you know, you're having to get your hands around execution stuff, the education relief funding, you took over the Swadley's case, the CLO case. Did you, was it just from day one? Just Well, I had a little lead time. I, I won the primary in June, so the likelihood of me taking office in January was high. So I've been preparing since the primary race for this office. So it was something that you were, you sort of had an agenda, I guess, in mind for what you wanted to take care of immediately? I wouldn't say so much of an agenda as necessary steps to right the ship of the state. So um, I want to talk about, uh, on January 31st, you dismissed the lawsuit the state had filed under the previous attorney general against the uh, vendor the state had contracted with to handle the education, emergency education relief funds. Um, and you called it an egregious misuse of tax dollars and said that you would be shifting gears from that lawsuit to uh, instead looking at, I think you said, state actors and other individuals. Can you give us any insight on that decision? I mean, what did you, how did you see that differently maybe than your predecessor might have seen that lawsuit? I researched what is the scope of Class Wallet? What does it do for the other 26 states that use Class Wallet? It is an online portal. Um, so, for example, if I go into Class Wallet, if I'm in Missouri and there are maybe 100 SKUs that I can order as a parent, uh, whereas at, at Home Depot there are 10,000 SKUs that I could choose from or Amazon or the things like that. So other states have used Class Wallet appropriately in that they've limited what the parent can access that falls under uh, some sort of an identifier that would promote education. We in Oklahoma did not do that. And Class Wallet challenged that and said, you know, what restrictions do you want? And we said, it's a wild west, go for it. And that uh, is a, a sharp deviation what the other 26 states did. And when I investigated that far and then confirmed with the auditor, uh, Cindy Bird is deep into the audit, um, it, it appeared very clear to me that class wallet did exactly what we asked them to do so when you say you know you're looking at state actors and other individuals i mean what in one question i think that we that people have asked us about this decision was like what would what are some of the potential you know ramifications of your investigation i mean what are the what punishments could people face i mean well, i think you you need to look at it more broadly there these are 
tax dollars, so Oklahomans contributed to this process via the federal government. And that's a key issue. The federal government issued these funds. So we can anticipate that the federal government is probably running its own investigation on how were these funds used or misused uh, by the state of Oklahoma. Different causes of action, different penalties, civil and criminal on the federal side, as and juxtapose that with the state side. Um, it may be that nobody violated a criminal statute. It may be that nobody violated a civil statute. But I think that it is clear from the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Inspector General that we misused at least $685,000, for which we will have to pay back. Uh, I would offer that the numbers are probably much greater than that, where we uh, misapplied, failed to account for, did not report, as required by federal law, the use of these $31 million. We were given 39. The $8 million that our Department of Education deployed, they know how to do it. They do it right. There's professionals that understand federal law, and there's no harm, no foul on that $8 million. The other $31 million, to the extent we didn't violate federal law, it was coincidental. So I want to kind of switch gears and, and talk about um, kind of going back to election night a little bit. And, and you mentioned sort of, you know, earlier in the interview, taking, taking over as AG and then sort of trying to right the ship, I think is how you described it. And I think back to election night, and there was so much focus on obviously the governor's race and the state superintendent race. But at the end of the night, really it was your race that was the most high profile, I guess, maybe like you describe it as like a change candidate. You were the change, the highest profile, like change election. And, um, you know, you hear politicians, they, they get it, there's a decisive election night victory. They declare that they have a mandate. You've sort of gotten in office and you've really taken charge of a lot of important investigations and things. All, most of the stories that were making news last year now are sort of under your control. Um, do you view yourself, um, because of election night, as having a mandate to change the way the AG's office um, operates maybe compared to how it was in the, through your predecessor? No, I think it's a fun thing to say on the campaign stump speech, but um, I simply won an election by the majority of the voters. Um, I think that most Oklahomans would prefer that their tax dollars not be misspent. I think most Oklahomans would prefer that their government be open and transparent. Um, I, I don't think, you know, to the extent I one of a plurality or a majority of the votes that's uh doesn't necessarily translate into a mandate but i as the attorney general as the chief law enforcement officer of the state i have identified several areas in which we just didn't perform well and if my presence makes the next avoids the next swadley then i've saved the taxpayers 18 million if my presence avoids the next epic then my presence my election has saved the taxpayers in excess of $30 million. So that's what an independent attorney general should offer for the state. You know, there's been a lot of criticism over the last year levied at the former AG because of the handling of the, the rate increases as a result of the winter storm um, that we had previously. And I just, you know, I, some of the criticism even has come from the courts where you've had judges who have, have said that, you know, just didn't do enough to protect taxpayers. Is that something, if that had happened, would you have handled that differently if, if you had been AG? 
I, I, I don't want to cast any aspersions to my predecessor. Um, I think that the distinction is that I am engaged. So I think the criticism, I believe, from reading the Supreme Court opinion, the criticism was not that he, what he did or didn't do. He just failed to protect. He failed to be engaged in the process. And if there are, I can be accused of lots of things, but one thing you will not be able to accuse me of is failing to be engaged. Well, that's kind of actually brings me to my next question. You know, last month, uh, you attended the execution that, uh, of Scott Eisenberg and, and McAllister, and you were there in the witness room with us when he was put to death. And that was something that, you know, I attended um, executions when, you know, Scott Pruitt was AG. I know Hunter didn't do an execution, and O'Connor we never saw there. I just wondered, was that, what was your thoughts behind going and attending, you know, this the first execution that had been conducted after you had been sort of inaugurated? What was your thought process in um, but two, twofold. One, it is the most solemn, significant act that the state of Oklahoma can do, any state can do, and that is take the life of another human. And with the backdrop as a military fighter pilot who fought in the Gulf War and then translate that into state governance, I believe that the highest ranking person should be in the room when we decide to execute. And in the absence of the governor, it should be the attorney general. So I will attend all of them because I think that's appropriate. And then secondly, I also wanted to personally view the process and the demands on our professionals because I had some concern on the front end of the 30-day execution protocol when I know that by statute the preparation protocol requires 35 days. So what we had is while Eisenberg was being walked to the death chamber, the teams, their four teams in the H unit, they had already begun by five days the next execution protocol. And I observed that that is very stressful emotionally, physically um, on these professionals. And I asked questions of what can we do to help? And, and it was a clear indication that if they could have just a lunch break in between executions, that would be great. Was that the first time you'd witnessed an execution? Yes. What, what was that process like for you? I mean, I know everyone, people have different perceptions of what that's like, and I've witnessed many of them at this point, and I think people have different ideas for sort of what to expect. What did you, did anything stand out to you about the process? I thought it was remarkably humane. I really did. Uh, he's treat, the, the, those on death row are treated with profound dignity and courtesy. You know, it was right after the you know, almost witnessing the execution when you did request that the court change the, the execution schedule that, you know, had been, like you said, every 30 days. And um, and you've talked about discussions you had with people there, you know, at DOC and in McAllister. Did those discussions take place that day? I mean, was it in the lead up to the execution or kind of getting a feel from those employees about what that process was like for them? I was there when they convened that morning at seven o'clock where they um, opened with prayer and uh, discussed the day's protocol. And I just wanted to be present throughout the whole process and to uh, have great admiration for the entire um, H unit team of our uh, Department of Corrections. And getting to witness that solemnity and the effort, and had already had, I had already read the protocol of what they had already done for the previous 35 days. Uh, it was significant, and as we went through the day, I was constantly engaging with personnel to just measure their mental state and, and their commitment to the task. 
And so you were impressed with how DOC has handled it. I mean, that's been, you know, a question for us in the last year and a half, you know, is there's a new protocol. There's, you know, you have new directors now at DOC. There's a lot of change over. I think that they they fully grasp the solemnity of the event and, and take it at the highest degree of professionalism. Before we uh, let you go, I just <coughs> wanted to ask, is there anything, you know, you've, you've been so busy this first month. Is there anything that you want uh, Oklahomans to know about you personally or about how you think you'll approach the next uh, four years as Attorney General? So I, I began with 208 weeks, and now I have 204 weeks left. And so what you are seeing from me is a, an, an urgency to accomplish early in my administration what I believe things need to be changed so that we can acquire, refine the protocol and procedures of the Attorney General's office, and we can have muscle memory for the next guy or gal who follows me so that we put back at, at the level that it should be uh, the Attorney General's office and the role and the scope and the protocol. All right, Attorney General, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Dylan. Thank you.